Herb Alper, the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a contributor to NBC's Hardball Talk, uh, along with uh, Craig Calcaterra. Uh, he is he has been an internet baseball writer since 2002, I think, and is the uh, the proprietor of AaronGleeman.com. Not for nothing, his name actually is Aaron Gleeman, and he's helping me with the introduction. Aaron, you're there. What would you say we talked about on this episode, Carson? Would you say I, my thing? The two topics mainly were my mother yeah. and Brazilian waxes, but totally unconnected. <laughs> yeah, not, I want to make that right very clear. Other. Not right very next to clear. Could <laughs> not be left connected. Let's say that right off the bat. Well, that's that. Those were sort of the bookends, if you were. We, we certainly uh, your, your mother. We discussed at the beginning. Your mother and Jewish people generally. Uh, yeah. The end. We did get to Brazilians, and uh, their middle was uh, and their their waxing and their steakhouses, right? Yeah, right. And then. Um, Actually, is is a strip steak? Is that a, is that just always a Brazilian steak? Is that what that is? No, no, okay. no it's just off the rails. Oh yeah, now you're just getting dirty. No, 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 no. And and uh, but in the middle, we talked a lot about uh, comedy and podcasts. There's a little bit of meta meta potting, meta. It's metapod. And let's say also no baseball discussion. Uh, let's yes. make that very clear. Largely, sort of quasi Dane Perry like disclaimer: no yeah. baseball discussion. Right, largely the case. Yeah, if you have come here uh, to hear any discussion about baseball, any sort of crack analysis that you would see in the electronic pages of Fangraphs, you will be disappointed. Uh, however, you won't be insofar as Aaron Gleeman himself is a talented uh, baseball writer, one who's been doing it for over a third of his life, uh, and that's to be enjoyed uh, in what falls. So, th- so thank you, Aaron, for for what um, we've just recorded, but what the listener is about to hear. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Carl. Okay, that is Aaron Gleeman, and you're about to hear him on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, which begins right now. These levels. You know, I have to be technically minded to uh, to operate this podcast, Aaron. That's why you get the big bucks, right? I get some bucks. I get more bucks. Uh, I mean, I get more bucks to, than I think I should. I get uh, no bucks from my. I'm out money from my podcast. That's true. Although, actually, I was. I actually uh, utilized some of my day to day to listen to um, the most recent episode of Gleeman and the Geek, yeah, of which of which you are a host. Actually, I'll tell you a thing that I like, and that maybe other. Uh, people care do not care for as much. Maybe maybe people do like this sort of thing. Is that um, I'd say maybe about the first twenty minutes of that particular episode are dedicated largely to recounting the previous Sunday's activities. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, that was mo- I think that was mostly because it had to do with drinking. I think. But yeah, yeah it, we did and, that a lot. And that's fine. And like you call you refer to a lot of people by their Christian names. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, of course, I don't know any of those people, and maybe uh, I'm sure a certain percentage of your listeners will be familiar with those people, but but I am not. And yet, it's fine. I still think it's great, like because I don't need to know who um, Lindsay. Who's the girl who's yelling at you about politics? <laughs> yeah, Lindsay. Yeah. yeah, I don't need to know who Lindsay is in order to understand what like what a Lindsay sort of person is like. Sure, it's a universally. Yeah, I guess that's true. I thought. I don't know. I guess that would probably get annoying. I don't even really think about that. Like we, because she, uh, Lindsay, was in the MLB fan caves this year. Oh, okay, yeah. So of course, so so people will know Lindsay. Yeah, but that makes me think. Well, we probably should have said that because that would have made it a more interesting story. But 
But do you think that people – that your listeners are uh, – what percentage of your listeners do you think are already familiar with her? Uh, I don't know. Well, she was a guest like 43 episodes ago. So if people are really paying attention – I have no sense of like who listens every week. Do people listen for the full, whatever, 95 minutes? I can't imagine. So that one was an hour 40, I believe. Yeah. Well, they're getting longer even though we have less and less – like, I mean, part of the reason we talked about – uh, the previous week for the first 20 minutes is because, you know, when you're doing a show just about the twins and they don't do, they did literally nothing the whole week. Like they signed uh, Tim Wood to a minor league deal and we talked about that for about 11 minutes, which is ridiculous. That's a lot of minutes. But, uh, I propose only Tim Wood, I suppose. Yeah, I don't He wouldn't even be that interested in it. I can't imagine. Yeah, <laughs> His own mom shuts it off. Yeah. Oh, man. man. My own mom shuts it off at some point. Although I will say, I want to tell the, the good people, your listeners, that yeah. my mother, the last time I was on your show, which was like a year ago or something, right? It was, it was too know, long. Little... If, if it was, it, it was too long ago, Aaron Gleeman. Yeah, really. It should be every other day a thing. I Let's think. do it. Yeah. Uh, my mom, of course, uh, listens to every appearance I ever make on anything to the mm-hmm. point of being uh, sort of stalkerish. But she said she listened to it, and her review was, she said, you know, how'd it go for you? And I said, I liked it. It was funny. And she goes, yeah, I didn't understand why it was funny. That was her only, <laughs> that was her only review. So you have the, uh, like the 65 year old, uh, single Jewish woman in Minnesota demo is not your, your target audience really. Which is too bad because I, I'm not saying that that is necessarily, uh, the target demo, but that's not a, that's not a bad demo to be in with, you know, yeah, you could, there are worse demos. You could do worse. I think probably most of the listeners are worse than that, and most of our uh-huh. listeners are worse than that. Yeah. I mean, not so to... So she I think she's going to give you another chance today, I'm hoping. So we'll see how that goes. Have we do? Have we talked about... Oh, no, no but uh, I know that you cited this most recently, is that I, I wish I were a Jewish person. Yeah, which I liked a lot. I mean, that's a crazy thing to think, but, uh, you know. Yeah. No, I don't know what it is. It's just, I mean... It's only uh, it only it only concerns it only has to do with the fact with the the Jewish people I've known, but the Jewish people I've known, uh, by and large, have been uh, happier and more intelligent. Uh, well, happy, not the precise word. It, we have to cut <laughs> right. a, a problematic definition of of happiness. But I guess that there is like, and this happens within within Catholic families too. So I should not, uh, I should I will not bemoan. Uh, my own situation, but it's like it's just a giant tradition, a giant um, half burdensome, um, it, but also in some ways, it, in its own way, half pleasant tradition against which to work. So it's just there. Yeah, I mean, if I were to say what the, I'm not. I mean, I was uh, expelled from Hebrew school right after my bar mitzvah, and I'm not at all religious now. But I would say the things I like about sort of. I don't know about the religion part or just the, like the tradition part is the sort of uh, getting together with your family and everyone just kind of goofing on each other because they all have a pretty good sense of humor. And I don't know if that's true in every uh, you know Jewish household, but I would say they're above average in that regard, above replacement level or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> comedy replacement level. Yeah. Yeah, right, as opposed to like Southern Baptists who yeah, – I don't – yeah, by I can't and imagine. Large. There must be something like an ingrained – like a persecution complexy type of thing that results in either having a good sense of humor or liking to pick on each other when you're with your own, you know, group. Well, there's sort of like a. I, it, you're right. There's a tradition of it 
um, the tradition of that within the larger Jewish tradition. I wonder if it if it somehow has to do with urbanity at some level, because it's a trait that ur- that urban people will typically have, um, just naturally develops. Like you need to learn. In a, the, in, the more densely populated the area, the more you need to learn how to deal with people, and the more you need you learn how to deal with people, the more you need to become comfortable both with, uh, I guess, both with confrontation and also diffusing confrontation, right? And I think that that's what a lot of you know a lot of humor is aimed at that, right? It's like there is this uh, friction, but but you know. Uh, how do we get rid of the friction? Let's, you know, we we make a joke about it, and that way we we sort of soften soften these blows. Yeah, I think that's true. And like when I was in, I grew up in St. Paul, which is you know not a bad neighborhood or anything. But I think my high school there were like maybe four Jewish kids in the whole high school. Yeah. So you get used to, like you said, you know, kind of if someone makes mention of it, you got you have a joke ready. Uh, but then you go to you know Sunday school, Hebrew school, all this stuff, and it's just you with you know, all your fellow Jews, and I still sort of kept making those same jokes, Yeah, and it goes over differently, but I, I think everybody, you know, like you said, everybody gets kind of used to kind of joking about the fact that, you know, you're one of, I mean, I can't imagine there were, there are any high schools at this point, certainly public high schools, where it's like, oh yeah, we have uh, 300 Jews out of 1,000, I can't imagine that. Well, it depends, I know that um, there's a town, I think this happens too, is that, um, it, well, I guess like any sort of immigrant population, Jewish people as well. I mean, they're you know they're, they're a little bit more established in this country at this point, but they they tend to find pockets. Like for example, I know that like Bristol, Bristol, Connecticut is where my the Italian side of my family settled, and there are certain parts of Bristol that are just exclusively Italian. Um, but I know that in Massachusetts, in Sharon, Massachusetts, Sharon, Massachusetts is like ninety percent Jewish, and so the public school is going to be. Is going to have a, a very high concentration of Jewish people, even though it's not like a, you know, it's not a Hebrew school proper. Huh. That's it. Like, see, my perception of Italian families is not that dissimilar to what it sounds like yours is of Jewish families, which is that like, you know, maybe it's just because I would just watch uh, you know Goodfellas over and over on TV or whatever. But it's like you know, if they get together for Sunday dinner, they just are real loud, and there's 20 of them in the same room. But yeah. I don't know. It sounds like what are the what would you say are the key differences? Well, uh, let's see. What is the key difference? I'd say like I mean, – now, in terms of like – there could be Catholic versus Italian too, right? right. Like I don't know if necessarily uh, – you know, I don't know if Irish people are like this all the time, um, especially because there are different strains of Catholicism. Like I think a lot of uh, Irish Catholics are sort of fraught with, with what's known as, uh, as Jansenism, like a Jansenist strain. I don't know everything about it, but it's it's a it's a sort of Catholicism that is um, much more concerned with the depravity of the body, right? <laughs> right. And and so this is Fun. where you you get that like dark you get those those dark aspects of of Catholicism and sort of self self hatred that that can occur, um, and like instant guilt. I mean, guilt is pervasive, of course, through mo- through a lot of Catholicism, but um, even Italian versions. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's probably it. I think that, uh, I mean, one difference, one huge difference between Catholicism and Jewish people, of course, is that Catholics, um, since the beginning of the tradition, g- generally speaking, have uh, taken their smartest people and then made them celibate, which is not a great move, right? And so yeah, that's the, one, the one thing about Jews, like, they have all, all sorts of weird, you know, like, self-hatred, but n- not much of it is, is sexual. 
they don't really they're kind of whatever happens there they don't really care oh that's true yeah i guess it's not really i guess it's not really evoked uh to that degree i mean of course yeah i mean there are there are a lot of sexual laws uh, and there's i mean there's old testament you you guys you can't covet things uh yeah i guess that's true coveting is out yeah oh i never do never yeah no why would you no, you're I got good, I got everything I need. You're a good boy. Well, that's nice. That's nice that your mom uh, listens. It, you know, it's sweet. I think it's better if you want to err on the side of parental involvement. With parental involvement, you want to err on the side of too involved. I think that's the case. Well, see, I just had this argument with my uh, podcast co-host uh, John Bonus, who is uh, not Jewish, and his his point is, or I guess his wife was saying this to me that like his mother will call him. We used to do a radio show during the, the baseball season for an hour every Sunday and his mother would call him like during the show and it was the same time every Sunday and his point was she doesn't even care enough to know that I'm on the radio from three to four every Sunday and my point was that sounds like heaven to me (laughs) (laughs) so I mean it really is you know grass is always greener I guess but yeah um, uh, there should be some sort of middle ground but it seems like not many people uh, find that with their parents. I think I, you're right. I think that they don't. Uh, I, I'm always a little bit suspicious when people have excellent relationships with their parents. I mean, I've, I've definitely seen instances in which that's the case, but I'm, I always think, I mean, I think ultimately it's great, but then I think, well, I don't know. Because it's nice. <laughs> I think that, you know, a lot of personal development is, or at least some of it, is when you realize that um, you're going to be cut off from resources, right? Yeah, and and the sooner you realize that, the sooner, I mean, in this particular version, I'm sure totally flawed model that I'm developing, uh, but you know, as soon as you're, when you're cut off, then you start to develop some some measure of uh, self reliance, and you know, and uh, you know, help uh, helping to produce for yourself. Uh, but of course, if you have this, uh, if you have a very excellent relationship with your parents. Maybe you never uh, develop that skill because you're not ever I, – like I see this in comedy a lot, right? Like a lot of comedy is is out of – it seems to be born out of desperation, right? And uh, who, did, who did I hear talking about? In what You and I are going to talk about comedy and comedy podcasts, I imagine, at some length. Uh, and yeah. maybe, it's, maybe it's starting now. Who knows? But I, I remember some comedian uh, – oh, no. It was uh, Zach Galifianakis was recently on You Made It Weird. Yep, I heard that. Yeah, okay. You heard that. And uh, it is noted uh, – because because the podcast uh, takes place actually at Zach Alphanakis's house in North Carolina, it's noted that uh, Zach Alphanakis has rather a small house, or at least a smaller house than than one might assume, given how much money he has. Yeah, it's like uh, he's farming. I forget what he said he was farming, but it's like a yeah. It's a, when when actors talk about yeah, I just want to get away from it all. He actually you know has already done that. Yeah, or, or I don't like I don't know. He says he wants to get away from it. All. I don't know if he was ever. I mean, he clearly goes to New York and Los Angeles. Uh, for work, but it seems like he's he's always sort of uh, stayed rather connected to North Carolina. Um, but but one of the things that he mentions, and, and he's like oddly articulate about comedy because I don't think he's like na- a naturally articulate person. But uh, on certain matters, like he he has he's particularly incisive, and he he just says uh, he mentions that you know as a comedian, like you always need to have something against which you're what you're pushing you know like you can't like you cannot it's difficult um it's difficult getting comfortable as a comedian to like trying to maintain i guess what you call an edge i, I don't care for that word but that seems to be the most appropriate one yeah well it's, i mean i was when i was growing up i was a huge howard stern fan i guess i still am but he was on you know terrestrial radio for whatever 30 years and they would always have to bleep him out you know 
when he was swearing, he would always have arguments with his program director, and that was like some of the most entertaining stuff. And then he went to Sirius uh, Satellite Radio, like I don't know how many years ago, six or eight years ago or something like that. And the first couple days, it was it was great because he would, they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and he was swearing, which you'd literally never heard him swear before. But then, like three weeks in, I realized, like you said, there's he's not there's no pushback, there's no he can do whatever he wants, and for some reason that takes away a lot of the humor. Yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, it, it's always a question of. Uh, I think that you, you know, it's hard to look at any sort of, um, uh, let's see, product, it, it, you know, with without constraints. Like, you know, whether whether you're talking about uh, a writer's work or a comedian's work, like if you don't acknowledge the fact that there are constraints of some sort. Uh, and I know that uh, certainly this is something with which uh, another comedian that I care about, and I, I think that you do too. I don't know Anthony Jeselnik. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Anthony Jeselnik uh, is is pretty articulate in this matter. Is that he always he always wants to know precisely where that line is between, um, you know, what is considered decency, and then and then just on the other side of that, right? Which is that territory that that I think that he minds, and and to his credit, he is not. Like he is not only, although I think it's part of his repertoire. He's not only like, he does not only tell jokes uh, jokes for shock value, because that gets um, that gets very tired, right? He goes into that ter- territory so that you sort of develop, a, so there's a, there's energy behind the joke that can then be released. Even more energy can sort of be released, uh, you know, at uh, on the occasion of the punchline. Yeah, and then the other thing he does is he like tags the jokes with based on what the reaction was to as he gets closer and closer to that line. And then, like, he'll say, oh, you guys are with me on the, you know, the baby raping joke, but you're not with me on the, you know, guy joke or whatever, you know, and uh, it makes it even funnier. But Anthony Jeffnick, by the way, you'll like this. Yeah. My old uh, colleague slash boss at uh, Roto World, Greg Rosenthal, who's now at uh, NFL.com, he was college roommates at Tulane with Anthony Jeffnick. And has like gone on, you know, vacations with Anthony Jeselnik, and I don't know if you know this, but Anthony Jeselnik dated or may still date uh, Amy Schumer. Yes, yes, I'm aware of that. Off, I think off and on, uh, yeah, they, they've it, dated, yeah. And I just saw Amy Schumer at a casino here like a week and a half ago, and she talked about how she keeps breaking up with her boyfriend and getting back together in New Orleans. So I was like, oh, well, I know this person that she's talking about. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, he, and he's talked about that a little bit. Uh, uh, I mean, we could. Uh, I'm interested in that show very much, uh, the, the one you went to see. Uh, the yeah, I think that they've they've gone on, they've gone out, and and then not gone out. Uh, it's actually sort of strange, and I, I know that he, I've heard him talk about this too. Is like, like a lot of his jokes and and her jokes too depend on having a significant other, generally yeah. on on which they're dumping. Um, and and for him, like he, I know that he's mentioned this. Like he likes to, he will invoke, uh, the girlfriend. Because again, like this is one of those things that creates energy behind a joke, cre- creates a sort of potential energy that can then be released. And especially when he, like, he has the joke, and I actually cited it in uh, yesterday's podcast with Dane. He says, uh, uh, "My girlfriend makes me want to be uh, makes me want to be a better person, so I can get a better girlfriend." <laughs> right. And yeah, like, always, there's the it's like an ever present girlfriend. That's the thing, right? It's like a, it's, well, this, it's not, I mean, it's a platonic, it's a, it's an ideal sort of girlfriend, right? Right, well, it just becomes, you know, like, then you get to Louis C.K., and then it just becomes the ever-present wife, and then the ever-present ex-wife, and then the kids. So it just becomes, like, sort of a understood character in every joke. And then I always try to figure out, 
which is stupid, I, I realize. But, like, what percentage of this is true and what percentage it was the joke already written? And he said, well, I need someone to be the other person in this little scenario of this joke, so let's go with, you know, spin the wheel, it lands on girlfriend. Yeah, well, you need, uh, right, you need to have characters populating your jokes generally. Um, and, you know, people, uh, because people have uh, boyfriends and girlfriends, people have kids, uh, you know, those are sort of, those are familiar characters. And I think that that's the benefit. I think that's the problem with, for example, when Anthony Jeselnik names, you know, says girlfriend or when Amy Schumer says boyfriend, if you immediately think Anthony Jeselnik, then I think that makes the joke, I think that's generally going to make the joke less effective. Because what it requires, what's probably when it's probably at its most ideal, is when is when she says, <clears throat> you know, when she says boyfriend, and then you just kind of conjure up, like then then you have to start bringing something to the joke. So now you're you're active in the telling of the joke. I, I guess this is what oh man, I sound like a douche, but uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan talks about the difference between a hot and cold medium. Yeah, in, in a hot medium is one of those that essentially requires some sort of participation. On the part of the you know spectator or reader or whatever, and right. so th- the more that that's the case, though, the more that you as the you know as the as the spectator, you become implicated in 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 the joke. You you become part of the consequences of it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and also she, you know, or anybody, they can sort of uh, I don't know straddle the line between real and not, but also kind of create the whole character in a way that maybe fits their future jokes, whereas if, you know, she opens up with a joke about her boyfriend and you go, uh, yeah, Anthony Jeselnik, I know this about him, I know that about him, he doesn't seem like a guy who would do that, and then it kind of ruins the the later... I was just listening uh, sort of along these lines to, you know, um, Hannibal Burris, do you know that comedian? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he just uh, uh, released Human Furnace, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was listening to that, and he tells jokes, his sort of ever-present person is his roommate but he starts out early on with a joke about how he was living alone and then like three minutes later he starts talking about a joke about his roommate and he pauses because there was like a weird reaction and he goes yeah i know i just said i, I was living alone but for the purposes of this joke <laughs> yeah, I have a roommate. Yeah, yeah which i i like that but i don't know i could i guess throw the audience off a little bit no no, no i think that's great and and actually amy schumer has a joke um like that uh where she says um uh, she says, uh, "My best friend is black." For the purposes of this joke, yeah, uh, right. Where where you get that little peek outside of, or y- you understand that this is a construction, right? That you're within w- that you're within a fiction, a- and I don't think I don't think a comedian could do it over and over and over again by like so clearly drawing or drawing attention to the fact that what is happening right now is a joke. But you can get that you can you can hit that beat. You know, two or three times over the course of a 45-minute set, and, and I think that's I think that works really well. And don't you think it also sort of depends on where on the scale from, like, let's say, one-liner to storyteller you fall? Like, I would say Anthony Jesnick is pretty close on the one-liner end of that. Yeah. And then you go to like Amy Schumer is sort of one-linery, but a little bit more drawn-out stories. And then you get to like a Louis C.K. who tells longer stories about that seem legitimately like actual events which I'm sure they're not all that way, but the closer you get to the kind of this is a story that happened to me as opposed to this is a joke I was thinking about and wrote down in my notebook and now I'm going to read it to you sort of style, I think it's, I don't know, it would be harder for Louis C.K. to maybe pause in the middle of a set and go, yeah, I know I said I have an ex-wife that did this, but she really did that. 
but it's funnier if I said it this way. Yeah. I okay. So I have two things to say about that. Um, one is I think you're right, and I think that and I, another name that, that came to mind when you're talking about those longer style jokes is Kyle Kinane. Right. Uh, Kyle Kinane will. I mean, it's hard to say when it's ending and when it's beginning, right? I mean, he uh, he he has some. Uh, he he will tell longer stories and, and then have beats along the way. Um, the other thing that's interesting you say that because I do think that is true um, about Louis C.K.'s stand-up that that he will preserve the sort of internal logic of each story, right? Right. Th- that he yeah. may not he may not peek around the edges like we're talking about, and yet. Uh, his show, Louis, he does that all the time. Like he's had multiple wives, multiple mothers. He's had – like his mother at one point was like a very loving mother, um, the mother like who said that he didn't have to go to Catholic school anymore. And, and in other times it's the it's in the present day and it's this mother who's like, um, like really like emotionally abusive and then like comes and tells him that she's – now she's a lesbian. Um, and then in the in – the, He's also had different ex-wives. Like he had, he in one of the shows he has a black ex-wife. In another show she's not black. Yeah, well, that, yeah, the current ex-wife who's been in whatever the most recent season was was black. And I remember I, I heard him talking about it. He's like, yeah, who cares? What's the difference? Yeah, right. <laughs> and like he, he's had he had another comedian named um, Robert Kelly played his brother in like one of the very first shows, and then he has never been seen from again, never been referenced again. He's gone through like two or three sisters, where but then he doesn't reference the fact that he has more than one sister a lot. So yeah, you're right. It's a weird. He must view that as more of a like sort of an art form than his stand-up, maybe or something. Yeah, it's interesting that he doesn't uh, he doesn't really care about preserving it at all, and yet, and I, I and I don't. It seems like um, fans of his show it doesn't bother them either, and it, it doesn't bother me. I think it's actually uh, it's actually amusing because you you get to sort of play along with these jokes, right? Yeah. I mean, it might also have to be like, for the purposes of this one episode, that is the that is the reality, right? That is like, the, that is part of the law of this particular episode. But that might change. That might change in a future episode. Well, that was definitely true. Like the first, what is, has he done? Three seasons of his show? He just, two or three. Seasons. Just two, yeah. In the early going, they were all definitely standalone episodes. But then later, you know, most recently, there have been you know some arcs that were like three or four. So he's even getting away from that, but he's sort of still keeping the universe that can be constantly changing. Yeah, and, and actually, you're right. you're right. I believe it is. I believe they actually this was the third episode that just happened. I'm pretty sure that's the case. But he's become. I mean, he's great, and his show's great. But he don't you think he's sort of become like the official comedian of maybe it's just you know Twitter users and bloggers, but like I don't go out into the real world and ask people who their favorite comedian is. Probably still like uh, blue collar comedy or whatever it is, but. He's like take it, like the wire became the official TV show, and he's like the official stand-up comedian. Which they're both great. They're both. I mean, if there is going to be an official TV show and stand-up comedian, it should be the wire and Louis C.K. But it, it is. I do wonder like what's going to happen. At what point will the people turn against him, or maybe just sort of? I don't know. I guess he has to do something bad, which I don't really see him doing. Yeah, and I think like it seems as though well, two things about that. One of them is I think he's taken steps against that, like. He's, I've, I've heard him state, I think, on Fresh Air or something to that effect, that he that he just he just realized he was making the amount of money that he needed, and maybe even a little too much, which is why he decided to like you know take some steps to uh, making uh, you know tickets uh, cheaper, you know, for his uh, audiences and and especially uh, you know to lower prices on his uh, his DVD specials or you know his comedy specials. 
which you, you know now you can get for five dollars. Yeah, um, even for his uh, live shows too, he doesn't go through Ticketmaster, right? He sells them all just straight up through his site. And yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah, right. And he and he he was able to construct it such that um, because he didn't want any of his tickets to be sold after market. Is that a word? After market. Yeah, he didn't want people scalping them basically. Right. right? And so and so he if he found out that there was some way that they could cancel a ticket, right, where if they, they somehow found that it had been sold for um, more than the original, um, like, price on the on the actual ticket itself, uh, it would be uh, it would be nulled, nullified. It would be nullified. It would huh. not, yeah, that's interesting. Too. Yeah, would, yeah, so he's, he's definitely, I don't know if it's conscious or just sort of the way his brain works, but he's embraced the notion of official comedian of... Uh, of comedy. Yeah, but I mean the other thing is, like I I used to be I sort of am now super into poker, and it was always interesting to me that when I would listen to poker players get interviewed, and the interviewer would always inevitably say, well, who's the best poker player? As if that's a thing you could prove, um, but they would almost all say this guy Phil Ivey, which was sort of fascinating to me in that a thing that is completely subjective. You know, I guess you could sort of just look at someone's bank account, but you can't in poker. You can't just go by like tournaments one because everybody plays cash games, not everyone plays tournaments and all this stuff. But yet, people would all name the same guy Phil Ivey. And with comedy, you know, I listen to like a million comedy podcasts, and they'll, a lot of them will start talking about well, who are your favorite comedians, who do you respect, and all that, and they will all say Louis C.K. And I've never heard anybody say, eh, he's kind of overrated. It's like he's just, I guess he's, you know, I guess at his peak sort of, which is a weird thing, like it's a late peak, I guess. Oh well, yeah, well, I don't know. When is comedy peak? Do you think? Uh, if you were to guess, what is he? He's mid forties right now, right? Yeah, but I guess I just mean well, age wise, but also just I mean he was around for a while doing like if you YouTube some early Louis C.K. stuff, you can see kind of where he was going to turn into this type of guy. Mm -hmm. But he was a lot more I don't want to say hacky, but he was a lot more just sort of average comedian. Right. Oh, I've seen that before. He had some sort of surreal jokes. I yeah, actually it was, there was yeah. enough buried in there that you're like, well, I could see this guy becoming great, but he's not. He's definitely not there. So I, I lived in New York from 1998 to 2000, and I actually got to see him at at the Comedy Cellar, I think it was uh, downtown, and I actually saw I, I would actually see all the time because I lived up in uh, in Morningside Heights. I would see all the time at Stand Up New York, which is on I think like 78th and Broadway, maybe. Uh, Dave Attell, who's another comedian that you just saw. Yeah, who was uh, Yeah, and he was – that was always – I mean that that was the coolest because like he was even relatively well-known then. Um, but he was he was on there all the time and uh, he would kill. He would tell funny jokes and then you laugh at them. And that always – because they just sort of – because in New York there's so many clothes, but they just kind of stop into work on material, right, most of the time? Yeah, I guess it's different, like how it works. Like, I mean, he seemed to be there with with some frequency, and it seems like it seems like Louis C.K. goes to. I mean, it's the it's the comedy cellar he goes to, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, like at least how he depicts it in the show, and I don't know necessarily how it manifests itself in reality, but like he goes there quite a bit, and yeah, I guess that's the only way you you can you can work on material. Although, yeah, I assume that the clubs I mean, need to have some idea who's going to be there actually. Yeah, although then you hear stories about that. Like, I don't know if you – like, it's usually, you know, Dane Cook, Carlos Mencia, where they come in and they decide, I want to go to whatever, 
club and work on my stuff for the next hour, and then they just bump everyone, and then that's when you hear everyone hates them. Yeah, that's not other, a, it's not a popular that, maneuver, certainly. That's a frequent uh, podcast topic, too. Yeah. Although it seems to be, like, limited to, like, Chris Rock, I guess, I heard a story of him doing that, and nobody cares because everyone just loves Chris Rock. So it's really, it's based upon the fact that nobody really likes Stan Cook and certainly Carlos Mencia even more. Yeah, because, like, well, right. Well, I guess at some level there, there's always the issue. They've both been accused of stealing jokes, I guess. Yeah. Um, I actually am I'm not proud of liking, or I am sometimes embarrassed to admit, that there are there is a lot of Dane Cook's material that I enjoy. I think he's, well, I, I think yeah, he's a really talented I'm, joke. He's a really talented performer. I mean, because, you know, he's locked down Madison Square Garden on multiple occasions. Which is which is an accomplishment, regardless. Yeah, I guess I would like I was saying how Louis C.K. is the official comedian, but I mean, if you were probably to go by like just mainstream popularity, I don't know if that's quite true now, but certainly like three or four years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, Dane Cook was killing everybody. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, and I I think he's very talented. I think it's an instance where it it has less to do, although I'm sure you know at some level it has to do with with his uh, with his act. But I think more of the negative attention directed towards Dane Cook has to do with the he, like his success, his rapid rise to success, and then sort of like the the kind of frat boyish antics surrounding yeah. it. It's more like nobody really likes his audience, right? The people who yeah. the people who really love Dane Cook don't seem like that great to hang out with, maybe. Right, and maybe not like you'd say like proper uh, connoisseurs of. Of comedy jokes, and then yeah, like you said, the other thing is the rapid rise. There's definitely a sense that like comedians seem to like it when somebody had to start at the open mic night for a year and a half, and then they opened up for somebody and got to do four minutes and were terrible, and then they were the middle act. You know, they they like it when somebody has to move step by step up the ladder. I guess. You know, this is something I thought about. Is uh, were I, you know, if uh, in the in the uh, event that I reproduce with my wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, if my child... I don't know why I laughed at that, but... No, it's okay. It might happen. The, uh, the, if, if my child wanted to become a stand-up comedian, that, in terms of, like, advice that I would give him or her, it's to start... I mean, it's to start almost immediately. There, there are very few instances, it seems, of, of talented stand-ups who started after the age of, say, 23 or 24. And yeah, almost all of them, like Louis C.K., Chris Rock, they, they started in their teen years. I don't know, like, I think um, like John Mulaney went to Georgetown. I don't know if he did jokes at Georgetown. I know Hannibal Burris has talked about doing jokes in college. Um, I don't know about Jim Gaffigan, but he seems like – Mike Birbiglia, I think definitely, he also went to Georgetown. I think he did jokes at college. Like you can't start that late because, like, I think, and I've I've done I've experienced a little bit doing some some um, jokes at the comedy club in Madison. Is that I don't I don't know if this is the precise reason, but I do know that now as a as a slightly older adult man, as thirty two year old person, um, with something like a domestic life and a job that I that I don't hate, the incentive. To like stay out until midnight and like probably drink too much more than I would like to, 
um, you know, with great frequency while also, you know, alongside some pretty good jokes, seeing like lots of bad ones and doing that like all the time is not appealing. But if you were, yeah. if you're a teenager That's- or a 21 year old or whatever, you ha- I just think you have a greater tolerance for that. I th- but don't you think that's true of almost any sort of work where you have to start at the bottom and you, there's no clear path? Like I even think of my own, you know, writing career, blogging career, or whatever. But like when I first started, I just wanted to do it. And I think back now and I go, how did I write an article every day for three years with like, you know, what was relatively no one reading? How, you know, and the same thing with comedy would be like, how did I go to this crappy open mic where there were seven people and four waitresses? listening and how did I, you know, bomb 50% of the time and keep going up there? Whereas if you start at, you know, 30 or if you start in some place in life, no matter the age, but just a place where you have a wife or you have a kid or you have your own house and all that, it's, I don't think you have the, I don't know if it's quite motivation or if it's just like a mindset that your brain wants to kind of get settled and you're not scrambling to find whatever it is you need to find. You can't do it as successfully. Well, you don't feel, yeah, you certainly don't feel that pressure, right? I mean, you don't feel... Yeah, unless if someone was like, you need to make money, and the only way you can do it is through stand-up comedy, you know, then you would do that. But, but don't you think it's also on some level like you need to be naive enough to think like, yeah, I could do this. Whereas like if you really had a little more experience and you thought about it, you were like, well, why would I think that I could do that? Like even you know, comedy, writing, whatever. Like if you took me at you know, 29 and said, yeah, you're going to start out with this stupid blog, and then eventually somebody's going to pay you to write about baseball. He's like, well, why would I think that I would be the one that could do that? And with comedy, it's, I mean, it's even longer odds, obviously. I think it is. It's funny that you mention that, though, because there is there is that part, uh, there's a voice inside of you, inside of a person that says, why, like, why would it be me as opposed to someone else? And I think that that is a thing that happens inside the minds of very reasonable people. At the same time, at the same time, you need... You need to always, regardless of the ambition, you need to have the sense – I mean it's a, if it's something that requires uh, a, a bit of a risk, you need to have the sense that, that there's a, some sort of – that it's going to be self-fulfilling, right? That, there, that you're somehow destined for that. You need to have that even though, even though it's a crazy person's thought process. Yeah, and I also think like listening to some comedians, it's somehow they didn't view it as a risk. Like to me – going up on a stage in front of, you know, a small audience that isn't all that interested in anything you have to say and trying to entertain them, let alone make them laugh, seems like the worst thing ever to me. And yet if you listen to some comedians, they'll be like, yeah, well, what was the risk? There was no risk. I'd bomb and I'd go home and I'd do it again. But you have to have a certain psyche, I guess, to just not be completely shattered. Maybe you're sort of like pre-shattered to the point that (laughs) it can only break you so much when you're already broken or something like that. Uh, that's a possibility. When was the first? Uh, so you started with AaronGleeman dot com. What in nineteen twenty? Oh two. Nineteen oh two. Yeah, nineteen oh two. I'm one hundred and eighty six years old. Yeah. So. <laughs> I look great for one eighty six. You do. You Not do great look, for like one twenty, but no. No, yeah. You you don't look a day over one forty five. Thank you. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I started when it was. Uh, it wasn't even Aaron Glee. It was. Uh, Baseballblog.blogspot.com. Oh you my! You know I I was in early to get that coveted baseball blog. Baseball blog, yeah. yeah uh, URL the yeah. <laughs> the uh, what was your first? Uh, I guess at what point did you receive your first comment? And then 
how much longer after that did you receive your first internet comment, like negative internet comment? <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't even have comments on the blog for a year or two, but I, I wrote for uh, what is now Baseball Think Factory, and they had a, you know, a robust uh, forum slash commenting section, and yeah, I would say it took probably three minutes after I posted my first article there till I was met with uh, the reality of the internet. Yeah. Which um, I'm still, I would say I've built up a tolerance to it, but I'm not, I am not a big fan of comment sections. You know, ten years later, like uh, we get for the on NBC uh, Sports.com, we get emailed the comments on our posts just as they roll in. Right, right. And initially, I would read them. You know, sometimes you have to ban people, you have to delete some stuff. There's spam and all that you have to keep track of. And now I'm at the point, like I posted a thing about today about how Nate Silver, he wrote a thing uh, breaking down the uh, Trout versus Cabrera for MVP. And I just posted a, you know, 100-word thing saying, if you're interested in Nate Silver's, you know, politics stuff, check this out because now he's back to baseball. And I thought, oh, this is just a link. It won't get too crazy. And I'm looking now, there's like 150 comments. And I'm afraid to look. I haven't looked at any of them. Because I just it'll ruin my day if I look. Do you think? I mean, I guess, I guess your point is, if it's up to 150 comments, it's probably not for a good reason. Right. It can't be. I mean, yeah. the first like 11 could potentially be not good, but not bad. Like you know, an actual sort of quasi debate about Cabrera. But then it's going to be. I mean, I'm tracking predicted. It'll be somebody, some Tigers fan, getting really upset. People start calling each other names. Someone will make a comment about Nate Silver's appearance. And then it's just downhill from there. And then by the end, it'll just be a lot of like Obama Romney stuff for like that's how it'll get. That'll, that's how it'll get to like a thousand comments. Right. But I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm literally afraid to look. Like I, I just feel like, oh, I could look, especially because there might be some really crazy stuff that we could probably be better off deleting. But I just don't want to. I feel like it'd ruin my whole day. When you when you say it'd ruin your whole day, so I'll tell you why it would ruin it for me. And and um, part of it, I mean, I don't like to receive insults. Uh, at my person, um, and I should say from strangers, from people who uh, who I know, it's like it's almost always it, it almost always feels like a compliment, right? Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same way. Yeah, like if if I know you even a little bit, and you want to insult me, great. That's I love it. Right, and and that way, because then then you think, well, like if this person, if they're really going to come up, like it's not just like you're ugly or you're dumb, right? Because those are kind of generic. But if it if it's something that if it's a, if it's a sort of insult that seems to identify something. Um, specific to you, then it, then it's like oh this person was able to make that because because they know me they know about me, and yeah, and, and I, I think that that's where the compliment comes in, but I think that so so that's one thing and and I certainly I mean I never really like it when people are like oh you're a jerk you're dumb etc but the worst thing is it what doesn't concern me at all it's like you just start to feel sad you start to feel sad for for humanity at some level yeah exactly the other thing I. I have that exact feeling, which is just like, what are we even doing? Like, what is going on? Like, what is this world out there like that I'm not quite aware of, but I get a glimpse of in these 150 comment threads that turn into some politics. Like, I just get so upset. And the other thing is, then I take it one step further and I start to think, well, who am I writing for? Who are these people that are reading this? Are these the people that I'm spending my day, you know, writing about baseball for? And then that makes me feel kind of gross, too, because it's like, well, I'm trying to write good sort of entertaining or interesting stuff but are these same people who are arguing about obama 
and 150 thread post thread on a uh, baseball blog that really representative of the vast majority of this audience. And I know in the back of my mind, no, but there's something that it's like it makes you feel gross about what you're doing. Yeah, no, no, I, I see that. Yeah, right. And and because because most reasonable people, unless they really feel like they're going to add to the conversation, they just won't comment. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever like sometimes on my own blog. Right. I'll like answer a specific question or I'll post something to if people are like confused about something, but I don't think I've ever I'm trying to think like gone to because I read plenty of blogs, but I just it, I've never been compelled to like oh I got to chime in here. I guess part of that is because if I really felt compelled to share my opinion on something, I could just tweet it or post my own blog entry about it, but. Right, yeah, or if it's like Aaron Aaron Gleeman, it's like maybe because this is like this is a community that you're of which you're sort of like the you know you you sort of curate this community, right? A little, but not. E- I mean, it's not even to that point. It's sort of like I, I, I'm so anti comment sections in general that I haven't put in the work to even make it that good. So I mean, there's definitely like regulars who comment on my on my blog, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's a community. I would say it's uh, you know maybe. 20 interesting people fighting off uh, a dozen wackos and another dozen just people who stop by once and get angry. Let me ask you, I know that, uh, I don't know if we, we probably touched upon it the last time you were on, but it's become even more clear to me now that you spend a lot of your day listening to podcasts. Um, I'll tell you what I was doing right before uh, we started talking is, and this is a thing I do all the time, uh, I have... Spotify uh, set to in this particular case it was I, I've, I'm you know cultivating an Amy Schumer radio station art like artist radio station on Spotify. Right. I had uh, leftovers from last night from an excellent pasta dish my wife made. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, I'm drinking a, a beer that I like, and um, I play this uh, soccer video game. It's a like, Pro Evolution Soccer, maybe it's called. And uh, I actually do – I have it such that I don't actually even – I don't manipulate the players like as the game is going on. I actually just – I'm just in charge of like tactics and uh, like player transactions. Like, yeah, I, you, set the, you set the roster. I used to do that in Madden football. Yeah. You would play like franchise mode. Yeah. Set the, you know, you sign everybody, you set the depth chart, and then you just let them play. Right. Yeah. I li- And I love doing that. And that's kind of like – that's not like my favorite all-time activity – but it's like a go-to activity during the day, especially like when I know I'm going to be eating lunch, and I don't, you know, I like want to step away from the computer for a couple. Of, so I play video games when I want to step away. But <laughs> yeah. it's it's a that's like a, that's kind of like a go-to uh, activity for me because I know it's there, I know that it amuses me, and I get to listen to comedy jokes while it's happening. I'm curious as to like what's a go-to situation for you because I know you're also like uh, you're a solitary sort. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder what that is for you. Uh, well, it's similar, um, but mine is more like background noise because, you know, basically nine to five every weekday, I'm supposed to be putting a blog post up every, you know, 25, 30 minutes. So even like, you know, my lunch break is like 15 minutes. Uh, so I would love to play soccer video games or the equivalent. Um, but mine is more just constantly, uh, you know, tweet deck, RSS, and then burning through like 15 podcasts a day while that's going on. 
So it's like one it's one step down from the excitement level going on in your house. What's what's it, the it, to what degree are you able to interact with the the podcast at that point? Uh well, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I don't know. It's cuz I do I I laugh so I'm getting it's getting in my brain somehow. But it's somewhere between like listening to music and having an actual conversation, which I guess is yeah, that might be why I like podcasts so much because it's like it's like you're kind of in the conversation, like you're overhearing a good conversation, but there's no pressure on you to chime in. Yeah, because I wouldn't have the ability, uh, in terms of being able to hold my own in the conversation or to step away from work to be involved in that conversation. So it's like the next best thing, which is really something that it, someone who is a complete hermit would only say. But you know, that's me. Right, but so you're you're sort of able to come in and out of the conversations. Yeah, and then sometimes, like if I'm really trying to write something that is not just so and so got claimed off waivers, and here's the stats from last year. If I'm doing something that requires a little bit more, you know, looking something up or putting in an opinion, uh, then I pause the podcast. But otherwise, it's basically from 8:30 a.m. to I'll say five, just because I'm supposed to work till five, but mm-hmm. let's say 4:30 just constant podcasts, which I, I think I, I was just telling him, I subscribe to 46 of them at this point. And do you, really, do you mostly listen to them, to all of them? Uh, yeah, although I would say maybe half is determined by who the guest is on the podcast. Like, I think the first one I ever listened to, it might have been Bill Simmons, but the first one I subscribed to was Adam Carolla, which was like four or five years ago. He got dropped off radio and then started his own podcast. And I used to listen to that every day and now he's like my least favorite podcast maybe just because i'm so used to him and but it's completely dependent on whose guest is but then you know there are like i don't know 10 or 15 where i just i'll devour any episode they put up there basically what uh because you recently put uh, up on aaron gleeman dot com you did a uh, a post called a podcast obsessed podcasters guide to podcasts yeah, catchy. Uh, it's a very catchy title. I know. You know, it is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I'm curious because I have not, uh, I have not listened to all these at all. Uh, uh, I mean, I can tell you, I've listened to a couple of them. I listened to a lot of the WTF, which is the podcast with uh, comedian Mark Marin, and I think that that is sort of like, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of like the, that's kind of like uh, the, the example. That's sort of the 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 podcast that has served as an example to other comedy-related podcasts? Yeah, it's like the podcast of record, I would say. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's the way to say it. Um, let's see. I'm also familiar – I'm uh, a little bit familiar with Doug Loves Movies, but not very much so. And then uh, not very many of the other ones uh, you noted. I've, I've come across Comedy Bang Bang, but it was like – maybe it was a little bit um, – it was uh, scattered or – noisy or something i don't know yeah well that one is that's one of the longer the longest running ones and that has great guests and it always starts off with like a straight up kind of interview and then it kind of devolves into what you probably heard which is like people start doing characters and the line between like reality and you know just insanity starts to blur a little bit and i don't actually don't like that as much when it's like i just want a good interesting guest and a host who, 
either is good at interviewing them or already has sort of a friendship with them and can be kind of laid back about it. Right. I would say that was the the bulk of the ones that I really like. That's what it is. It's sort of like two people who either know each other or at least kind of know of each other and respect each other having a conversation that isn't quite, you know, it's beyond like, uh, you know, Jay Leno-esque. Kind of, I know I'm not supposed to say that as an NBC employee, but whatever. Yeah, well, well so so I guess, it, I mean, I would even say that, I mean, for example, I like um, – I never sit down to watch them necessarily, but I certainly come across clips uh, from the Jimmy Kimmel show, uh, from Conan, from Letterman. Uh, they're they're all funny in their own right, um, but there is the the nature of the sort of conversations that they're forced to have just by the constraints of of the medium. You know, it's gonna be ten minutes tops, right? And it could be amusing, but you never are able to get to that. You're never able to get to that space, right? Where where or an actual type of conversation occurs right well for, because most of the time they probably literally never met you know they met like three minutes before in the green room so what are you going to really get into and then the other thing is it maybe takes them four minutes to get into kind of like a rhythm of conversation and then by that time you're like two minutes from a commercial break which is i mean that's i guess the beauty of podcasts it's like i mean you can go However long this one is, you could go twice this long. Which there are there are it's weird. Like the one I do every week, we usually go I don't know hour and a half, sometimes more than that. And there are certain people who every week, especially on Twitter, they'll be like, "I love the podcast, but why do you guys go so long?" And that always just seems insane to me. But I guess some people listen to it just on their twenty-two minute commute every morning or something like that. Right. So they don't really value the fact that you could kill a whole day listening to this stupid thing which is my whole motivation behind listening to podcasts. So that's sort of how I, I don't know. I mean, most of the ones you do are at least, what, 40-plus minutes usually? Uh, it's it's different. Like with Dave Cameron, it's always about just about a half hour. Okay. Uh, because, I mean, Dave Cameron is information, you know. Dave Cameron is there. Uh, you know, I, I give him a prompt or I attempt to give him a prompt, and then he says all of the information and, and he provides all of the analysis. Yeah, you just have to kind of wind him up and let him go. Yeah, right. And and it's a, it's also like it's just a little bit it's it's less grounded in uh, I guess like it, because I don't think Dave Cameron has any particular uh, regard for the art of conversation, right? And and that's fine. That's like I mean Dave Cameron he's doing he's doing fine. <laughs> we don't have to worry about him. Right. But it's just for him it's not there's not it's not really a virtue necessarily. Um, and he also is forced to making sure that people like me and people like Eno Saris and Jeff Sullivan don't destroy the site, you know. So he has like other other concerns going on simultaneous to the to recording the podcast. Um, but certainly with Dane, uh, during, you know, Dane, yeah, we hit somewhere between probably forty five minutes an hour usually. I would say uh, there was a long one with Clausen the other day. Uh, yeah, that was good. I listened to that. I thought, yeah, well, Clausen's uh, an interesting guy, uh, and so he can um, he and he can uh, he can bring the conversation into to weird places that that are uh, nice to, to bring it to. Um, yeah, but that's about it. But I I see what you're saying though. Like at a certain level, at a certain level, I guess like what's the threshold for quality, right? Uh, simply being there is kind of part of it. Um, yeah. Well, it's also. I mean, like, if you were just at a bar hanging out with people that you sort of knew or maybe you knew 
some of them, but didn't know a lot, and you were having a good time, no one would ever go, well, we're at the 52-minute mark here. We don't want it to go downhill, so let's call it a night. Like, <laughs> you, were having a, you, like you would keep going, and I you know my personality is such that once I'm out of the house, I'll keep going, you know, till the bar closes or whatever, and I guess that's why I like the podcast so much. But, yeah, it, it does seem weird. I mean, I guess there's, I don't know, I guess, like, uh, if you like a sitcom there's probably an argument for the fact that, you know, 22 minutes plus commercials is the perfect length for it. And if it was an hour long, you know, it would suffer. But I just don't think a medium that's just totally based on, you know, what is largely sort of off-the-cuff conversation would benefit from that much tightening up. So of these, of these podcasts that you've listened here, um, I, I mentioned to you the ones that, I, that I've, you know, had some experience with. Maybe you could Maybe you could sort of use – the, your Aaron Gleeman, like your personal algorithm, uh, to maybe suggest one or two that I ought to listen to. Because I told you that maybe Comedy Bang Bang is not necessarily my favorite. Um, I do, I do, I care for WTF when when Mark Maron is is not really allowed to be totally Mark Maron. <laughs> right. Uh, like so you he, say, you're saying you fast forward through the the intro. I always do. Yeah, yeah, I, I always do. I'm I'm on that. Yeah, yeah. and that, and that's fine. Like if if they're listen, th- th- and that's the other thing is like if there's one if there are people who listen to it, then go keep doing. I mean, keep doing it, you know, because it's because you can fast forward through it. There's nothing requiring me to listen to it. Yeah, you know, uh, he does occasionally like like I think he called recently. He called Brian Posehn, who who had done a special, I think, and sometimes he, I know he's called Louis C.K. before just to talk, and that's uh, I will sort of stick around for that, but. Uh, generally speaking, right? It's a, it's sort of it's a meditation, and he he's a little bit uh, maybe crass for my taste when he's left to his own devices. Um, well, it's also it's just hard to pull that off. Oh, he's doing two a week. It's hard to come up with any sort of decent kind of monologue, especially when you're trying to drag it out for 15 minutes as a, like a true intro. It's just hard to a person doesn't do that much interesting stuff that they can talk about. Although I guess his life is probably slightly more interesting than your average uh, stay-at-home baseball blogger, but yeah, it's just, that's hard to, I mean, like an actual monologue that is just pure jokes is tough to make entertaining, and they have teams of writers working on it every day. So. That's true, yeah. The uh, So, okay, so I really like, I did enjoy the episode quite a bit the, when he was on with J.B. Smoove. Did you listen to this one? Yeah. Uh, which I think, because J.B. Smoove was in charge of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and if, if for people who don't know, J.B. Smoove is the character who played uh, Leon uh, what, for two or three seasons in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, it, and it's very entertaining. And he was the boss of that conversation. He makes a lot of associations. Uh, and and Marin certainly was uh, an enabled participant, uh, but was not in charge. Um, and, and so those are the sort of WTFs that I like most. Uh, I've listened to – I've never listened to Jordan Jesse go. I, I do like Jesse Thorne okay though on what uh, Sounds of Young America slash Bullseye. Yeah. Uh, so all those – so I've just put those into your pers- your unique algorithm, and I'm curious uh, what do you think of – you know, maybe what are two or three that I should try that I, that, uh, that I have not listened to? Uh, all right. Let me think here. I would say stop podcasting yourself, which is on Jesse Thorne's – network of podcasts the maximum fun network mm-hmm. and that is it's two canadian stand-up comedians uh graham clark and dave shumka 
and they basically just have a guest on, usually another comedian or an improviser. Rarely somebody who I know, certainly, and rarely a big name, because it's usually someone from Vancouver or Toronto or something like that, and they basically just have a hour-and-a-half conversation with them. And I would say that's consistently probably the best one I listen to. Um, another one that's great is uh, the best show on WFMU, which is Tom Sharpling. Yeah, I've heard very, I've heard very good things. Of, in, in I will hear generally comedians talk about him and that show in pretty reverent tones. Yeah, and when I I used to hear that too, and I gave it a try like a couple years ago, and I got like a half hour in, and I was like, what is what am I even listening to? Like it it seems so weird to me. It's actually a radio show on a like an independent station in New Jersey, um, and it's some music stuff, some him just kind of ranting. There's characters, but I would say. If you want to, like, you'll have to listen to a couple of them to get into it. But that's a three-hour show with no breaks, which is amazing. Uh, yeah, and that's, he has good guests on that, a lot of comedians, a lot of musicians. But I, I think he might be, in terms of, like, the actual talent within a podcast host, mm-hmm. I think he might be the, the most talented one. What are some skills do you think that are, kind of, that are universal to, to that? Uh, let's see. You have to be – you have to – be able to find like interesting well it depends if you're doing an interview like Marin you have to be able to kind of dig and kind of not be all that friendly to kind of not roll with the punches you have to kind of call people out on stuff if it's a true interview show but I mean just in terms of like Sharpling's show is occasionally interview but it's more him just kind of babbling about stuff uh, you have to be able to turn something that you wouldn't even tell like your friend you did that day you have to be able to turn that into 22 minutes of like fairly interesting stuff that you can then spin off into other stuff and like another one is i think we talked about this before but um bill burr who's a stand-up comedian has a podcast called bill burr's i think monday morning podcast which is 99 percent of the episodes are just him talking for an hour and you know he has a some interesting stuff because he's on the road with comedy and all that. But for the most part, it's just like, yeah, he went to the store and he did this or he saw this on television. And to me, that's like such a amazing skill to turn something that if it happened to the person in listening, that person wouldn't even think it was like that interesting in their own life. But to turn that into something that you can, it's not always funny, but something that you can find, you can find humor in or at least make, you know, interesting for a long drawn out, story that's way longer than you would ever tell at a party or a bar or anything like that. That's such a skill that I don't think I possess, and I think such a small percentage of people possess that. But, you know, but, so I would say that, that makes for a good I, I would assume that that, I mean, obviously as a, as a and actually Bill Burr is an interesting case because, um, or I should say it's an interesting case for me. Uh, he's been around for a while. I've only really found him recently because his tone is, uh, at first, it can seem rather shrill. Right. Uh, but I guess what what's unique about Bill Burr, at least I think this is the thing that's unique about him, is that he turns a lot of his, uh, is that he sees the absurdity in his hostility, and he he turns a lot of it back onto himself as well. Like he thinks he's the absurd one. Um, yeah, that's he sort of like you said when you first listen, he just sort of seems like a guy who from Boston who yells a lot. Yeah, which there are, are a lot of in comedy. Which is which like. is just a guy from Boston, really. There's yeah, not. Right. There's not <laughs> yeah, I can show, I can edit that sentence a little. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but yeah, like you said, he'll he'll be yelling about something for like ten minutes, 
and then he'll go, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. That was stupid. Yeah, right. For some reason, that is so endearing to me. Like, cause I guess it just shows like a level of self-awareness that is, I don't know, I guess, I don't know if that's like a super important skill because I would say a lot of really successful comedians and then podcasters and stuff have no self-awareness a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of good, but I would say maybe the middle ground of your average uh, self-awareness isn't so good to have. Right. Yeah, I, no, you either want to be one of one extreme or the other, maybe? That seems highly speculative to me, Gleeman. Yeah, well, that's well, now I'm too self-aware about that. Now I'm really questioning what I've said. Yeah, it's all going to tumble down around you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you a that. question. I'm curious as to um, – so, so here's what I know you. I mean, I've known you for for a while as an, a writer for, uh, about as a baseball internet writer, internet baseball writer. I've known you as that for some time, not since 2002, uh, but since before uh, since before I I was writing for Fangraphs or anything like that. Uh, and you've been doing that for a while. And I, don't, I think you're not even 30 yet. Is that right? No, about to, I'm turning 30 in January. Okay, you're up against it, but but yeah. but you've done most of this in your 20s. Yep. Um, I'm curious as to what your aspirations are, if they if they are anything, if they exist beyond what you, what you're doing right now, because that seems to me also a credible option. But I think you would probably be able to tell from me is that I view myself in a certain in a certain way, like the character that I play on the internet is very similar to. I, it's I mean. It's a naked ambition to be perceived as, um, as an as an aristocrat, right? As the, as the product of an aristocratic family, yeah. and I want I, I it's a joke, but at the same time, it's a joke that has in it within it like ninety nine percent truth. Like I want sure. to be seen as that, and um, and like uh, I I both I exaggerate like the my sort of like my CV. At some level, and like my qualifications, but I also mention it because I want people to know. Which a, which is totally douchey, but at the same time, is just uh, it's a thing that I have not gotten beyond, if I ever will. Um, and I'm curious. So if I want to be like a, I like my goal is to be surrounded by people whom I respect and whose whose work I respect and admire, uh, just praising me, lavishing praise upon me, and we're all drinking together. It just perpetually, that would be the best case scenario. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, but I'm curious as to what you – because I think that uh, – I don't know if you finished at Minnesota or not. I don't know – like I don't know if you view yourself as a as a scholar uh, or or if you view yourself as like just a – like as you're just – yeah, I'm a guy who like is – you know, has been rather self-sufficient uh, and, you know, and like, you know, was able to start this – website on my own and I did that and I parlayed that into some other opportunities and now I get to do this thing where I rub my baseball and listen to podcasts. I like I'm I'm, not, I'm wondering definitely like, not a scholar. because uh, okay. yeah I dropped out of uh, of college after hating college and school just in general. Like I was always a decent student but I never really liked it at all. Um, like I think now if I had it to do over again I wouldn't even I wouldn't have gone to college probably. Although but, I don't know if because you would have known that, like, the, the writing about sport was, like, a thing you could do. Yeah, and, I mean, I started I started the blog after my freshman year of college. So it was, like, August after my freshman year. So I was 
home for the summer. And, I mean, I, I did take a lot of writing classes and some journalism classes and all that that I'm sure helped to some extent. Um, but I basically started at 19 and just have not stopped doing it. So I sort of feel like, well, if I had just started at 19, not stopped doing it, and also not wasted time uh, going to a, a biology lecture twice a week before I dropped that class uh, a month into the semester, I probably would have been a little bit better off. But, I mean, I don't know that that's true. That might be a flawed way of thinking. But, yeah, definitely no scholar. I almost feel like I, I kind of lucked into it in that I, for whatever reason, I didn't have any grand plan or anything. I just kind of started doing it before the majority of people realized that you could kind of just write full-time on the Internet. Like, you didn't, it didn't have to be an offshoot of a print publication. And I think we're still kind of getting around to that a little bit. But, yeah, I just got my foot in the door early and then just never stopped. But, I mean, in terms of what I want, I've been thinking about this a lot coming up on 30, and I don't really have a great, like, a great answer, like a great plan. I mean, I would like to – I still – like writing about baseball because I don't know how could you not really but I definitely I mean like the conversation we just had about you know whatever comedy podcast and all that that to me is so much more interesting than when because whenever I meet someone and I tell them what they do they what I do they inevitably want to talk about baseball and that's great but I have just lost complete interest in this sort of the casual day-to-day chats about baseball just because I don't know if it's been beaten out of me by by doing it so much or I've just heard every, you know, smart argument, every stupid argument, like about the MVP stuff and all that. But I just, I've gradually lost interest. Like the Trout Cabrera thing, I think is a good example. Five years ago, I would have written, you know, 10, 1500 word things about how Trout deserves it and about how everyone's misguided thinking Cabrera. And now I'm, I'm just like, yeah, who cares? It doesn't, (laughs) I've, I've seen this movie, you know, 10 times already every other year it seems like and you know i've seen it with the cy young stuff where people were arguing about wins and you've seen it about you know just everything so it's i don't know if you it gets to be a point where if you've done it the same thing for so long you kind of it's tough to continue doing the the small aspects of it that kind of build up to making you good at it i don't know if that makes any sense it doesn't make any sense but i i see what you i see what you made uh, about the like the chakrabera thing Right. It's because I think that – tell me if, if you think this is right or not. You are – you've seen this cycle now like a certain number of times. Right. And there's probably some variance. There's probably some push, right, to towards like the idea that someone like Trout, whose uh, cosmetic numbers in some ways are not as good as Cabrera's, there's probably some push within the baseball – Within baseball media, that community, that someone like Trout might be might be qual uh, might deserve the, the MVP over Miguel Cabrera, which is maybe something that wouldn't have been the case ten or ten years ago, fifteen years ago. But generally, it's you you've seen the cycle. Like maybe at a certain point, you could anticipate like you know a, a person will write a piece, and maybe in the past it's been Aaron Gleeman writing the piece. A person will write a piece saying one thing. Someone else says another, a third person writes a third perspective. And you can kind of even if you don't know the details, you could you could sketch the outlines of those particular those particular arguments. Right. And I almost it would be nice to be able to go back, like even the thing I mentioned I linked to um Nate Silver's piece that he wrote today on his uh, New York Times blog about Trout and Cabrera, and it was a really well done 
pretty lengthy piece with a lot of numbers and a lot of interesting stuff. But I've seen, you know, a version of that, and I've written versions of that so often that I almost feel like I'm missing out by not looking at it with fresh eyes. Like I wish a 20-year-old me who had been blogging only for like six months could read a Nate Silver, you know, AL MVP uh, blog on the New York Times because I think it would it would kind of blow my mind. But whereas now, even though it was really good, it's the upper level of what that type of piece can be. But, I mean, I've seen a, saw a version of that when, um, you know, Ryan Howard won the MVP, saw a version of that when uh, Miguel Tejada beat A-Rod for the MVP. And I'm sure there's a couple I'm missing. Certainly, you know, you saw versions of that, people touting uh, Felix Hernandez despite his win total and all that stuff. You just the you can only go through the cycle so many times, I guess, uh, before it ceases being uh, unique or even interesting, which is it's a shame to say that because I think certainly – you know, if you have new readership, they deserve or they would be most interested in you coming at it as if you're seeing it for the first time and be able to write a really, you know, uh, strong opinion about something. But, yeah, it's it's tough to do. And that might just be my thing, like, you know, getting sort of worn out with it. Because I know uh, Craig Calcaterra, my uh, my blog mate at, at NBC, he hasn't been doing it as long as me, but he certainly has a, a much higher threshold or a much more energy he's able to devote to just sort of arguing about the same stuff everyone has been arguing about on the internet for, for eight years. Yeah. I, I, I still think there's different ways to write about the game. I mean, you know, certainly the awards voting is, um, serves as a lightning rod, um, that will, and you know, in, in you're sort of almost like you're sort of almost responsible or you have to be, to be responsible to your employer. You have to, Take advantage of you know the potential spikes in traffic that those sorts of events cause. Right. Uh, we have to sort of you know throw up an article about there and like yeah this is, this is my trap. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. The but there are probably other ways to write about the game too, right? I mean there are diff- there are other ways to write about the game. Yeah, um, there are. It's not always easy. I mean I'm very thankful for the the gig I have, and it ninety percent of the time it's great, but. The nature of it to sort of pump out content all day, every day, makes it so that if I had a some sort of angle to take about the the MVP thing, that wasn't just who was better, but maybe you know, have we seen, which I think you mentioned, like this type of player, how has the percept the perceived value of this type of player, like a Mike Trout, changed over time, or all that sort of stuff, which I think would be interesting to read and and even to write, but it's like, well, I can't take. Uh, four hours to write and research that because i got to do uh, eight posts during that time. I have to do every trade or signing and all that. You better. Is, you better do yeah, it. Uh, yeah. You're out of here. Yeah. Otherwise, I have uh, Craig as uh, Taskmaster Calcaterra. He really uh, is he difficult? the whip if I, if I don't get every uh, waiver wire claim. Is he difficult? Uh, no. Possible? Would you describe him as impossible to deal yeah, with? Yeah, I think that would be better because difficult gives him too much credit. Yeah, impossible to deal with. Yeah. I hear that. I absolutely hear that. The uh, I, I won't I won't keep you forever. Um, but but to this point of uh, like of the future, uh, and of course, yeah, you mentioned that you're turning thirty, uh, which is not it's not the it's not really it's not the hardest age to turn, I think, because especially since uh, uh, you know twenty year olds have been allowed to become uh, infantilized to the degree that thirty is just like twenty part two. 
um, or maybe what the 20s used to be when adults had to become adults earlier. Um, what is the – so it seems like what you're saying with regard to the AaronGleeman.com site was that you had no grand plan, but you sort of just asked yourself, well, what's the thing that I want to do? And then you just started doing it. Is that I mean, is that a fair characterization? Yeah, basically. I mean, even on a day-to-day level, like the topics I would I used to pick would just be like, well, what am I interested in, and maybe what what am I interested in that hasn't been covered? And at that point, you know, in O2, not that much was being covered, so you could just have your pick. Whereas now, even if you even if I really felt strongly about I need to write a AO MVP article, well, there are already like literally 50 of them that are as good or better by writers I like a lot and would like to read, so what's the point of that? Was well, there anything you want to nail down before you die? Is there uh, anything you want to you want boy. to make sure you take care of? Boy, we're really uh, well, ending I, on a, uh, we're ending on a high note here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not really. I mean, I guess when I was starting out, I always, I always wanted to sort of do this, and I got to do it at a young age and for a good-sized audience and all that stuff, so that I mean, I've already accomplished all that stuff. I never really had, you know, high hopes when you drop out of college because uh, you hate it. You can't really think to yourself, well, I'm probably going to be a pretty big deal. So to be a small deal uh, is pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I guess the one thing I maybe would want to do, at least on my personal blog, is write about more non-baseball stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, just talking about movies I like or television I like or doing more podcast stuff. But I like writing that, but you certainly get the sense that the bulk of your audience is disappointed when they show up and there's not just something about Scott Baker signing with the Cubs. You mentioned your mom a couple times, and I don't know know if you mentioned your dad. I don't know if he's around or... Yeah, he's around. Okay. uh, I'm curious, first of all, what your parents thought when you were, when you said... You were done with college? Uh, my mom and – well, actually, pretty much my whole family, except for my aunt, was very much against it. And my aunt had to kind of, like, sit them down. Uh, and she's actually a college professor, which is weird. And she basically said to them, I think, which was kind of always the argument I made about NBA players leaving after high school, like Garnett, which is that, you know, you can go to college for the – you know, social aspect of it, but I stunk at that anyway. So if you're going to college just to sort of learn how to do a job and then get that job, if you can skip that step and already get the job, then why not just do that? And that was sort of the, the pitch she made, sold my mom on it and my grandma on it. And then, one, you know, once you start making some uh, decent living that you can, you know, move out of your mom's house and get your own house, they don't really, you know, what can they really say at that point? Yeah. So, th- so there, was, uh, there was pushback at first. Uh, but it was not. Uh, it was not. It it didn't continue. Yeah, and like going back to the first topic we talked about, the uh, the Jewish family. It's yeah. never like the pushback is not like that strong. It's not you can't do this. You know, you're making a huge mistake. We'll disown you if you do that. It's more like, hmm, do you really want to do that? Have you really thought about the downside to that? It's kind of like I don't know if it's guilting you or if it's just sort of passive aggressively uh, making you think it might not be the greatest idea. But yeah, it certainly never was like. Yeah, if you drop out of school, you can't live here. You have to move out on your own. It was sort of the opposite of that. Because when I did drop out, my mom was like, "Yeah, you can come live here for till you're 60." Oh my! Which uh, yeah, that goes back to we've 
we've uh, come full circle here. Yeah, that's right. It's a circle of life. That was the idea. Yeah. See, I guess if you talk long enough, you're bound to you're bound to come back to the beginning anyway. Yeah, certainly if I talk long enough, it'll start out with about my mother, and then it'll end about my mother. Yeah, be... probably mother along the way, too. Yeah, that's guaranteed. Do you think Dane, uh, Dane Perry, who's a frequently a guest on Fingers, do you think he has a an actual mental disability, or do you think he, it's sort of uh, fabricated? Uh, I would say if he does have an actual mental disability, it's a great one, and I think we should all strive to have that. I think you were having this conversation with him, on uh, yesterday's episode, which is that he seems to, I think the example he used is when you guys were going to lunch or brunch or whatever with, with uh, Rob Nyer, and he didn't care that he was late for it. Yeah. And I completely sided with you, which is that, and I've met Rob Nyer a couple times, and I'm completely nervous around him, unable to have a normal conversation, and I would have shown up for a potential brunch with Rob Nyer. Probably I'd have camped out the night before, <laughs> maybe made a few trial runs, you know, scoped out a good seat at the table and all that. But I, I so respect, and that's actually the people I tend to gravitate towards in terms of who I think is interesting to hang out with is the the uh, the Dane Perry archetype, which is like, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really care. Uh, and because I'm so jealous of that, like I would I would like to show up late to a brunch uh, ten minutes late and not have been freaking out the whole time about it. Yeah, it it is a it is a strange thing, and and I, I think I mean there needs to be other parts there. I guess it's I guess it's unique, right, that someone would would be conscientious in the way that Dane is to the English language, right, and and uh, rigorous in in that in that particular way, and like at least sane enough not to you know to be left by his wife, who I've met and is a right. reasonable person. And so, like, clearly he has some of these skills that other adult people have, but then there, but then there's also that, that other thing, right? Right. Which is, I mean, you can, you can find an endless amount of people who will show up late for a brunch. That is probably one of the easiest things to find is someone who will be late for something. Yeah. But, but to then you start to narrow it down and say, okay, uh, this person has to be uh, equipped enough socially to – you know, some sort of wooing went on between uh, Dane and his wife, uh -huh. I assume. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know. And lovemaking, clearly. Yeah, whatever happens to produce an offspring, I'm unfamiliar with all that, <laughs> but I've read uh, Wikipedia entries about it. Uh, and then to hold the job, and then, like you said, to be, what I would say, uh, I hope, you know, hopefully he's not listening because we won't want this to go to his head, but I would say an exceptional writer, which really makes him kind of fascinating to me, which is why I t tune in every week. I guess. Yeah, he's a weird, he is a weirdo. Uh, to that point, uh, um, this actually reminds me of something I, I think that would be um, fruitful in bringing up with Dane too. I was looking for for reasons that really needn't be discussed, or explored any further than than we're going to explore them. I was looking for a thing that was like Brazilian. You know, if a woman receives a full Brazilian. Right. Uh, this is a sort of a way of manicuring her uh, her sure, pubic hair. Sure. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was looking for like another word, like within the category. You know what I mean? Like other other designs, other other styles, essentially. And so, what I did was on my internet machine, I just I was like, I'm going to look up Brazilian on um, Wikipedia. Uh, and here's the crazy thing: is that when you do that. There is no censorship whatsoever. Um, that just is all over the internet. It, it will give you a very clear 
visual description of what women are doing to their uh, pubic areas. Yeah, well, so I guess that tells you that when most people are Googling that, it's not so much an intellectual pursuit, I guess. <laughs> You're unique in that sense. Is that what that tells you? It's also weird. Uh, they're, like, famous for waxing and steakhouses, Brazilian. Like, that's what you get in front of it. You either get... Oh, um, yeah, right. Or having football like players uh, football players named after uh, philosophers. Like, there's at least one Socrates. Um, they also have a lot of... Um, there's a Lincoln, a Jefferson. Uh, there's at least one Washington. Uh, they're named after the great Americans. There's an Edison. Yeah, that seems like an like okay. Here, I just went on my uh, as you like to say, my internet machine. Yeah. Uh, I typed in Brazilian on yeah. Google, and then it you know how it fills out the rest of the most likely searches. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Number one, Brazilian wax. Yeah. Number two, just Brazilian, no yeah. other word. Yeah. Number three, Brazilian steakhouse. How does that how does that happen? How does a country what is the Brazilian get famous? How does a Brazilian steak taste? Is it se- is it seasoning? Uh, yeah, it's good. Although I think the American uh, usage of Brazilian steakhouse basically just means a place that will bring you never-ending types of meat all day until mm. you put up the stop sign. It's not so much like Brazilian made, like a Brazilian oh, seasoning, like or. Brazilian service. Yeah, it's just. We got a whole bunch of meat, like Fogo de Chao. Have you ever been to one of those restaurants? No. Uh, you put, they give you a little uh, card that one side is green and one side is red. Mm-hmm. You put the green out, which is just basically keep bringing you know, meat, bring the meat, and then when you're about to die, you put the red, and they stop bringing the meat, and that's sort of the Brazilian steakhouse, I think. I'm so it's more about the service. Yeah. Yeah, it's more just I can go here and just eat my weight in meat. Now, are the waitresses uh, full Brazilians? Did you get this? Huh? Yeah, that's uh, that would be interesting. They should be right because if those are the two things you're known for, or right. the other thing they could do is when you know you go, I don't know where do women go, hair salons and all that to get these Brazilian waxes. I think there are definitely special places. That seems like something we should research to but, get bikini wax. I mean, I know uh, that you can get a bikini wax at my gym. There's like a also like a salon there. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that I mean, you're like doing a, it. You're there. That sounds like a Natgrass post. How could you not do that? Um, I could not do that. It's just a salon. It's it's like a four story building, and one of the store, stories is a is a salon or whatever. I got a massage there one time. Hmm. It's great. How did that go? Oh, it's actually really great. It was really great. John Mulaney has a funny joke about massages. He says, "I went to go get a massage. You, you've probably heard this before. To get a massage, the woman told me to undress to my comfort. So I <laughs> so I put on a sweatshirt and a pair of corduroys." <laughs> I felt very comfortable. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with him on that. I would feel I couldn't get a massage because I think I would feel too bad for the uh, person giving the massage. So I mean that that might be the case. You're probably not the dirtiest of the customers, or would not be. I think I think that there are people who actually enjoy giving massages. So I don't uh, know. I yeah, I, I can't answer to that. They have to go to school for that and everything, right? Yeah, it's a real cool. thing. You get yeah, you get certified. Let me. I want to ask you one other thing, and then I'll let you go. Uh, the the Chelsea Peretti podcast, I haven't heard it yet. What is that all about? Uh, that is, I would say, a crazy podcast. It's a call-in podcast where just random listeners call in. Yeah. And they don't even know really what the topic is. He just kind of gives them a topic, like, to say, hello, who are you? Um, whatever the name is, and she'll go, okay, today we're talking about uh, polar bears. 
and they'll just have to come up with – the one thing you learn is that the average person has no ability to think on their feet. Mm-hmm. Like she tosses a topic at them, and they just kind of uh, – for a minute. But that's actually good because I would say uh, the best part of her comedy is making fun of people. She's good at that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say yeah. amazing at that. In fact, um, um, and this is uh, – you know this partially, um, but you know that I tweeted at uh, Chelsea Peretti, and she tweeted back. Yeah, I was very impressed with that. Yeah, well, we went to – we were in actually an improv group together in college. That's how I know her. That's uh, Yeah, that's amazing. Because I would say uh, my crush on her has reached uh, epic proportions Yeah. for me. Not Her end hasn't reached uh, too much, I don't Like think. what proportions are her – like from her end, what proportions would you say? Uh, I would say it's it's simmering at a, a solid zero. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she uh, – Seems to be a well. She wrote for Parks and Rec, which is an amazing show. It is a very good show. Very strong. Um, but yeah, the podcast because I generally don't like call in, you know, talk radio. Yeah. Because it seems like why do I want to hear what the random caller has to say? You don't. You don't. But she uh, she makes it work because she's not afraid to uh, just destroy the random caller. Hey, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to do one more thing, which is to to help me record the introduction to the podcast. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. So I'm going to pause, and then I'm going to say that it's Herb Alpern, the Tijuana Brass. Okay. It's Herb Alpern, the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a contributor to NBC's Hardball Talk, uh, along with uh, Craig Calcaterra. Uh, he is, he's been an Internet baseball writer since 2002, I think, and is the, uh, the proprietor of AaronGleeman.com. Not for nothing, his name actually is Aaron Gleeman, and he's helping me with the introduction. Aaron, you're there. What would you say we talked about on this episode, Carson? Would you say I, my thing, the two topics mainly were my mother yeah. and Brazilian waxes, but totally unconnected. <laughs> yeah, not, I want to make that right very clear. Each other. Not right very next to clear. Each other. <laughs> to not be left connected. Let's say that right off the bat. Well, that's that. Was, those were sort of the bookends, if you were. We, we certainly uh, your your mother. We discussed at the beginning. Your mother and Jewish people generally. Uh, yeah. The end. We did get to Brazilians, and uh, their middle was, uh, and their their waxing and their steakhouses, right? Yeah, right. And then, um, actually, is is a strip steak? Is that a, is that just always a Brazilian steak? Is that what that is? Not, no, okay. No, it's just off the rails. Oh yeah. Now you're just getting dirty. No, 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 no. And and uh, but in the middle, we talked a lot about uh, comedy and podcasts. There's a little bit of meta meta potting. Meta. That's metapod. And let's say also no baseball discussion. Uh, Let's yes. make that very clear. Largely, sort of quasi Dane Perry like disclaimer: no yeah. baseball discussion. Right, largely the case. Yeah, if you have come here uh, to hear any discussion about baseball, any sort of crack analysis that you would see in the electronic pages of Fangraphs, you will be disappointed. Uh, however, you won't be insofar as Aaron Gleeman himself is a talented uh, baseball writer, one who's been doing it for over a third of his life, uh, and that's to be enjoyed uh, in what follows. So, th- so thank you, Aaron, for for what um, we've just recorded, but what the listener is about to hear. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Carson. Okay, that is Aaron Gleeman, and you're about to hear him on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, which begins right now. All right, we did it. That was uh, beautiful. That's what it sounds like. It makes me. It makes it so much easier for me to edit. Yeah. Because yeah, what do you did you usually you had to go back and you know, I just do it by myself, but it's like you know I usually I usually don't do it right away, and so like I've lost the thread, and I have to remember, and it's like. It's just when you're involved in a conversation, your mind's just like, you know, I don't know how much more active, but it's like the synapses are firing. Well, and plus, when you're talking to Dane, your focus is on 
bleeping everything out. I have to. Yeah, he's not been that bad lately because usually we we've been able we, to find some things. We didn't swear at all, did we? Did we no, we any? didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We're, we're such good boys. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not always necessary. I, I don't. I don't do it a lot in my daily life. I, I don't think. I mean, but I'm not against it either. Uh, yeah, I swear a lot. I think in my daily life, although it, realistically, I'm not actually talking to anybody ever. So you're just quiet a lot. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. This uh, is the most conversation. Well, basically, podcasts are the only time I ever talk. Sunday, I talk for an hour and a half, and then uh, whatever, however long we just went. So, what do you do after work then? Uh, take a nap, watch some television, uh, write about the twins for my stupid uh, personal blog. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing to have your hobby be the same thing you do as a, as a job. You take vacations? Uh, yeah, I go to the Sabre convention once a year. That's about <laughs> it. Very, exci- very exciting. Man, what a guy. What a guy. Yeah, I'm really, I'm a crazy guy. Hey, well, let's say uh, uh, we can, you and I can talk about the real, the real behind-the-scenes type stuff in a second. But we'll say, uh, I'll thank you right now and, and uh, say goodbye to you. Okay, goodbye. Hey, Aaron, uh, thanks a lot for that. Thanks. I'm going to say, hey, Aaron, thanks a lot for that. I'm going to say, hey, Carson. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah, okay. That's Aaron Gleeman of uh, NBC's Hardball Talk, AaronGleeman.com, etc. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.